must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. I must not fear the flesh. Mind killer, I speak. Death brings total obliteration. I will face my flesh. I will be off. Here. Here is the little death. I must not fear. Fear is the little death. again popheads welcome to another exciting episode issue of the tomcast popcast coming to you from a terraforming cave deep in the heart of arrakis my name is tom thank you so much for listening to this quality independent pop culture podcast please be sure to follow us on the social media at tomcast popcast on twitter and instagram oh and by the way we have a facebook page now uh in lieu of a website a website is in the cards i'm just trying to figure out how to make that work with uh, two different podcasts, but check us out on Facebook. If you're, if you're still doing that thing with Facebook, you know, where you go on, you probably like say hi to your mom because like, our parents are the only ones who still use Facebook. We have a page there. You can like it and check it out see what we're doing over there. It's it's okay. I'm doing an okay job with it. I'm trying. Getting back into Facebook is a little bit more challenging than I thought it would be. You can also email the show if that's just easier. Hit us up, tomcastpopcast at gmail.com. And please make sure you're liking, subscribing, sharing this podcast on whatever your favorite platform is. Remember, we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Pandora, Audible, Amazon, and so many, many more. And if you are on Apple Podcasts and you have the time or the inclination because you're just digging what we're doing, five-star reviews. Easiest, best way to help us out. Well, we have got an episode for you today. And uh, listen, I'm not going to pull any punches here. I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about this one. Uh, a lot of times when it comes to the podcast... I'm coming to you all from a place of, of um, comfort as far as my, my, my base of knowledge for discussing something, for you know, feeling like I can have a conversation that has some merit to it, some, some authenticity for my emotions for it. Uh, and today, uh, it's going to be a little bit tricky because this is something that's fairly new to me, in, in, in a, at least in the breadth and scope that we are, we are hoping to get into today. Uh, and that's because we are talking about 1965's Novel Dune by Frank Herbert. Yes, that's right. We're getting into Dune today. And I have to tell you, I have to be honest. You know, I, I saw the Lynch film when I was a teenager. And, and uh, you know, so I, I was familiar with the world of Dune from that perspective. Uh, but reading the novel was something else. It was um, it, it was challenging. It was challenging. I'm, I'm a 40-year-old man who uh, considers this a fairly well-read and is not adverse to uh, literary challenges. Uh, but Dune is uh, it's, it's dense and it's thick with world-building. And it's, it's, I don't want to say it's completely unapproachable, because if you want to check out Dune, I do highly encourage it. It is, it is a, a, a spectacle. It's a classic. 
it, it is all these things, and it, it merits your time and your attention because because of its uh, impact on science fiction, the, the the science fiction landscape. I mean, it, this has been a book that that has uh, captured people's imaginations, people's attention for over fifty years now. I mean, it, it's it's uh, iconic in, in 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 the things that it did at the time. I mean, again. It, this came out before Star Wars. Obviously, has an influence on Star Wars. Look at Tatooine. So you know the the the, the book has that level of um, um, just appreciation and respect by by some of the most beloved people in science fiction. And it's getting a new movie. We've all seen the trailer. It was delayed massively from its intended release. Uh, you know, in 2020, because of the COVID-19 pandemic that, that swept across the country and. and ravaged all of our entertainment possibilities for the year uh but this movie will be out in the fall on in, in theaters and I, I do believe it's still being released simultaneously on hbo max uh and it's, it's uh, directed by denny villeneuve who is a a just a a masterful director beautiful visuals uh tells big engrossing encompassing stories and that's exactly what dune is so I think he might be the right person to 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 sort of bring Dune back to the big screen uh, with a new cast and and you know we'll see how faithful the adaptation is to the source material. But what we wanted to do today, and what we what we were what we're hoping will still be entertaining is we want to give everyone out there a, a bit of a Dune primer, a, a bit of Dune 101, uh, because it is such a dense book and and there again there is. A massive amount of world building in it, and and so what we were hoping to do, I'm I'm going to be linking up with my brother Mark, who has also recently read the book, and I I think, I think took to it better than I did. Uh, I I think he was uh, very much engrossed and compelled, in 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 the story that was being told there. Uh, so we're gonna I'm gonna rely on him a lot actually for this episode because, I have questions, and you know I'm, we're I think we're hoping to have a dialogue, that is also uh, a fun but also informative about getting everyone ready for, for Dune because I think we're all going to want to see this. This is going to be uh, a, a cinema spectacle at its finest. You know, Denny Villeneuve uh, just bringing Dune back to the big screen in a way that I don't think anyone, uh, the, even the most ardent Dune fan, was, would probably never had hoped until he saw his trailers and were like, wow, he's really, he's really, really doing it. So that is the plan today, to get into Dune, kind of break it down, uh, in, into smaller pieces that are that are a little bit more bite-sized, a little bit more consumable, uh, in an effort to get everyone kind of ready to go for for what is to come. And yeah, you know, I, I, if you're not super familiar with Dune, if you haven't seen the David Lynch movie, you know, we probably are going to get into uh, some some spoilery kind of aspects of it. But again, it's a book that came out in 1965, so I don't feel that bad about getting into spoilers. It's like talking about Lord of the Rings, and 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 someone's like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was going to read those books. It's like, come on, man. What are you doing? What are you doing? So that's kind of the plan today. We want to get into that, break it down, and have some fun with the Dune, with the Dooney Dunes. <laughs> and like I said, I'm hoping it can still be an entertaining podcast, but I'm coming at this uh, not from a position of strength like I do when I'm talking about comic books and Star Wars and things like that. Like I'm very much uh, a, a novice at the world of Dune. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping... We construct the show. I'm, I'm a little nervous about this one, but fingers crossed we get this pulled together and we, and we have a solid uh, a primer episode so that everyone can get a little bit more familiar with the world of Dune and then we can all watch that Denny Villeneuve movie and, and talk about it and all know 
what the heck we're talking about. You know, we're going to break down uh, the the Quitsack Haderach prescience. We're going to get into the, the Fremen and, 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 you know, all the stuff. The House Harkonnen, 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 Harkonnen. That's a conversation of itself as well. I mean, good Lord. We're going to talk about Paul, uh, uh, the Muad'Dib. There, there's so many words. There's so many words. We might even talk about the Butlerian Jihad. We might have to. <laughs> Just because, like I said, the world building in that book, in that one singular we're not even talking about the entire series that Frank Herbert wrote. We're just focused on the one book. The one book that's sort of like the Bible for the Dune, Duneverse. I like Duneverse. I, I probably did not coin that phrase, but I like it. I'm going to pretend that I did. So please, uh, I hope you will enjoy this episode. <laughs> and, you know, maybe save this one for when you're getting ready to watch Dune. And you're like, you know what? I do want to watch Dune. I, I do want to kind of get more acclimated with that world, with what I'm about to see, the craziness that I'm about to see. And, and save this episode for then. But it, by all means, download it first. Make sure I, I'm seeing the numbers here so I don't think no one wants to watch Dune with me because I want, I want to watch Dune with you. <laughs> all right. But before we get into the conversation proper, we do have to thank the official members of Pophead Nation, which you can join up, become an official member at patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast. You can join the nation and gain access to the sweet bonus content. Thank you to our current Patreons, the Aspen Hill Chody, the Batman of Bay Park, Jeff Nail. Jeff, co-hosting the Ring Ear. Check them out. They're doing great things. Thanks to Evil Circle, the evilest of all circles. Squidmaster General, Mr. Brian Broussard, the New Jersey Devil, Mark Wegmer, our very own Joker and Holly Quinn, Brian and Krista of Pride Brewing Company, here in San Diego, California, and coming soon to Baltimore, Maryland. And of course, the Beer Hop Brigadier General, Jesus Beer Hops. Thank you all so much for being the official members of Pophead Nation. We wouldn't be here without you. All right, we're going to turn the conversation... We're going we're gonna to get the conversation started. Uh, but like I said, this one, this one is one where not only am I going to ask you to do something, I have to do the same damn thing this time around. And we, so we all have to do it together. Are you ready? We have to sit down. We have to buckle up. We have to hold on to our butts. And then we buckle up again. Let's go. You are so beautiful, my Baron. Your skin love to me. Your diseases lovingly cared for for all eternity. All right, he's joining us all the way from Los Angeles. Three whole hours up the road. It's like a different multi it's it's like a different reality up there though. So we connected over the internet. My brother Mark, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Listen, I'm not gonna lie, I called you out in the opening of the show and said, listen, Mark is the biggest Dune expert that I know. <laughs> that, that's not saying much. <laughs> it's not. It's not saying much. It's. It's not. Uh, but. But what we want to try and do is is uh, kind of just have a conversation, and 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 try to break Dune down in in a way so that like people who just aren't familiar with it, who who uh, might be intimidated by the by the legacy and the history of Dune. Uh, can can get into it and check it out and be like, oh, all right, I know what they're talking about when they say these crazy words like Gom Jabbar and Quitzak Hadarak and all that good stuff. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Why not? As as I also sure. said on the on the beginning of the podcast at the on the intro, I was like, this could be an unmitigated disaster of biblical proportions for us. That might be stretching it, but Well, you know, I mean dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. That's what we're talking about here. Okay. We're not we're not we're not underselling anything on this podcast. Nope. <laughs> All right, so you and I both uh read Dune within the last year or so in in preparation for the movie. 
and uh, uh, I, I think it's I, I had some challenges with it, uh, but I know that you really you took to it really well, right? Like like you you were all in on Dune. Yeah, I ate it up. That's the kind of that's the kind of writing I like. Stuff that's that's really dense like that. Yeah, it, it's dense. It has uh, it, it does an incredible job of its world building, uh, and and setting the stage for all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, I, th- I think one of the biggest things we, we have to let people know about this movie, or about the book, I should say. We're not talking about the movie. Apologies. Um, it's in, like, a really, really far future of humanity. Like, there is very, very little that is recognizable in this future right. that Dune takes place in, other than uh, uh, humans are there, <laughs> and some of, like, the more baser instinct of humans are, are present. Uh, and I, so I guess the most... I mean, I guess the simplest way to say it, like like, Dune... Let's just answer that question first. What is Dune? Dune is the nickname for a planet, Arrakis, where everything yes. where everything takes place. And can you kind of can you kind of explain Arrakis to the people? It's it's a desert planet, right? It's it's and it's it's I I sort of I know uh, Lucas was a was a big fan of Frank Herbert's Dune, and so Tatooine's very much inspired by it. And I also wondered if that is what inspired Lucas's love of. You know the 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 planet with one ecology, you know, and I don't know for a fact, but I, I think Dune might have been the inspiration for that, like sand planet, ice planet, forest planet. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so in um, the, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. So yeah, Dune, the planet Arrakis, is also home to the spice melange. Mm-hmm which is integral to space travel. And the spice is only, uh, it's only on the planet Arrakis, and that's what makes the, the planet so important. Exactly. So, so, so Dune, a.k.a. Arrakis, is, is sort of the driving, the driving force of this, this you know, uh, cosmic-spanning human empire that's going on. Uh, Dune yeah. is absolutely critical, and there's an emperor who controls humanity, and there's different houses who who serve the emperor, and they the politics of Dune are complicated, right? Yes. <laughs> but to break it down into simple terms for for this first book in particular, um, you have the bad house and the good house, <laughs> more or less, yeah. And the uh, the the greedy sort of uh, uh, tyrants that are current that that as the as the book opens are in control of Dune is House Harkonnen. Harkonnen. See, I've heard it both ways, and I was going to ask you about this. I feel like I've only ever heard it as Harkonnen. I've heard Harkonnen in the Lynch film, um, but when I've listened to uh, like some audio podcasts about Dune, they say Harkonnen. They're wrong, whoever <laughs> they are. I don't care how many times they've read it. I well I, I so I guess you could go either way. We'll, we'll see if if Denis Villeneuve makes a statement on that for his next film. If it's going to be like Baron Harkonnen or Baron Harkonnen. Well, I think um, in the latest trailer you hear Josh Brolin say Harkonnen. Okay. Well, if that's how they're going to roll, then that's how they're going to roll, and I got no problem with that. So I'll I'll go with Harkonnen too. But I wanted to kind of bring up how there seems to be two takes on how to say Harkonnen or Harkonnen. I mean, it doesn't matter. So. The uh the, the 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 podcast that uh 
if it if it helps the people on the podcast I listen to were British, so maybe they say it differently. Mm, that could have something to do with it. Yeah, I wondered about that too. Uh, so the Harkonnens are sort of the vile, disgusting. They represent everything bad about humanity. They're 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 all about greed and murder, murder and betrayal. They are uh, they plot against people all the time. There's there's yeah. plans within plans with the Harkonnens there, and they are just not only are they sort of like on this you know beneath the surface gross and vile and gross and disgusting but they look that way too particularly yes. the, particularly the baron who is is sort of yes. like the the culmination of, of avarice and greed yes sort he's of, fond of food fond of food and fond of, of murdering uh boys that's one of his things he likes to do that yes and yes. uh his his I believe it's his nephew Raban who is currently in charge of Arrakis as the book is opening. Yeah, the beast. The beast. The beast Raban. The beast Raban, exactly. Yes, yeah. and and he is. Uh, we see Bar- the Baron is mentoring his other nephew. Uh, was it Fayed Fayed Ratha? Right. I've always called him Fayed. Fayed Ratha. I think you're right. I think it's Fayed Ratha. Uh, you yeah. if you, if you've seen the David Lynch movie. Uh, you know who we are talking about. We are talking about Sting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, is sort of is, is sort of uh, the the future for that house going forward. He's being groomed to take over for the Baron eventually. Yes. But uh, and and to take over Arrakis. To take over Arrakis. Now that's part of the intrigue of of this of this book as it opens up is uh, there there's sort of a plot in place with the Harkonnens, Harkonnens, and the Padishah Emperor of Humanity. Yes. And they are both very nervous, and and, um, they're not keen on what House Atreides is doing. House Atreides, the good guys in this story. But they've been amassing power. They're they're getting a lot of favor with the people uh, because they do for lack of a better expression, like they kind of do the right things. Like they have, they have a, a moral compass about themselves. Like they, they take good care of their people, the people who serve their house. They, they take good care of the people who are under their protection. And, and so, and they're, they're they have amassed a sizable army that makes the emperor very, very nervous. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of that is all sort of implied. Yes. In the book. Yeah. But I'm, I'm trying yeah, to, it, I'm trying to explain because what we're getting to is here this plot between the Emperor and the Harkonnens. Harkonnens. Jesus, I'm just going to say it backwards all day, every day. Yes. <laughs> between the Baron, we'll just call him the Baron. It's easier. Uh, they want to get rid of House Atreides. They find they both consider them to be a threat. Now the Harkonnens and the Atreides they have been feuding for generations at this point. So yes. their 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 rivalry is already there. The Emperor in this plot has decreed that the Harkonnens are out. They are no longer in charge of Dune, of Arrakis. Right. Duke Leto Atreides will now be the overseer of Arrakis. Uh, it will be up to him to cont- continue to mine and harvest the spice, which in fuels the empire, basically. Right. Uh, so he has to move his family from this, this uh, sort of... Uh, Wonderfully tranquil planet Kaladin, which is full of rain and water and moisture and all these good things. Seems like a fairly right. nice place. And he's going to move yes. them all across the galaxy to Arrakis, the most harsh climate around. Uh, and he seemingly knows that he's being set up. 
Yes. That he is going to die if he goes to Arrakis. Well, I don't think it's that he knows he's going to die, but he knows that, uh, you know, it's a trap. So, yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Have I, have I sort of missed anything from our opening uh, dynamic here? Um, I don't think so. Okay. So, real quickly, yeah, we, we captured, okay, we talked about the members of the Harkonnen family. You got Duke, Duke Leto. Uh, his son, Paul, is basically the central yes. character of the story. Uh, he is yes. going to be the character that we get to know the most, we spend the most time with, and is uh, basically the chosen one of this story, right? He's, he's, he's Neo, he's Jesus, he's all of these things. Yeah, just about. Um, what can I have come out recently <laughs> and talked about my, my dislike of the chosen one story. Now, again, this book's from 1965. You know, so I, I sort of had to give it uh, uh, some wiggle room as far as like my current uh, take on, on the newer material that's doing this. Uh, right. Can you talk about Paul, though, and, and kind of get into his whole character? Okay, so, you know, Paul, he is this kind of combination of, of, of innocence, but at the same time of, of sort of strength because he's being groomed by his father, Leto, to to eventually become the Duke. Um, but he's also, um, he's also been trained by his mother, the Lady Jessica, uh, in, in the ways of the Bene Gesserit. And the Bene Gesserit are in order of, in the book they, they call them witches, but it's not like, you know, it's not magical witches, it's just um, uh, sort of a, a religious order Mm -hmm. Do you think that's right? A religious yeah, order? I would say so. Okay. Um, that they are very powerful mentally. And um, they're, they're capable of sort of prescience. And oh, We're, uh, we're going to talk about prescience. Don't worry. Yeah. Prescience and mind speak. Um, and so... So Paul, he's just, he's kind of a, a combination of all these things, but they haven't quite coalesced inside him just yet. So, you know, I mean, he's 15 years old, uh, so he's he's still developing as a person, and 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 the story is very much about about his growth and as a human, but also his his ascension. Um, spoilers, you know. He, doesn't become the duke he becomes something much more yeah and and like you said like uh you know as we're introduced to him in the in the book he's only 15 uh, he is sort of of two worlds between his mother and his father you know the the duke is grooming him to be the leader of house atreides uh he is uh, surrounded uh by 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 tutors basically who are employed by the house uh, who are warriors yes. for his father, basically. You you have uh, Duncan Idaho, who's sort of like the master at arms for the house, right? Yes. I might I might have their, their titles a little mixed up, but uh, Gurney Halak is also a big character who helps train uh, Paul in like fighting hand-to-hand -hand combat stuff. Yeah, I would almost say, is, isn't Gurney kind of more of the, the master at arms? Cause he, he might be. Duncan in the, Duncan's more Duncan of a, in the book is more, more of like a soldier. Yeah, he might just be more of a soldier guy, like the leader of the soldier, of the, 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 the sort of like the commander of the, of the military, maybe for house Atreides. Yeah. Uh, and those are, I, 
those are sort of like the two big mentor characters that he has, right? Well, through fear. I, I was going to talk about through fear, but through fear is not. I don't. I guess he is sort of a mentor in a, in a sense. Well, I would say very much so because um, a, a lot of Paul, a lot of Paul's training uh, to to become the future Duke, I think, it is at the hands of through fear. Like, I think, I think, like Paul is. He could potentially become a mentat. Right. Okay. Hold, hold on. We're going to talk about mentats in a second. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I didn't want to get too far down on, on Thufir just yet. Uh, but yeah, yeah Thufir is part of like sort of this, this guiding council for Paul. Uh, and then there's uh, Dr. Yue. Right? Am I saying his name correctly? Well, in, in the Lynch film, they pronounce it Yui. So that's how I've always okay, said Okay. Dr. Yui. Now, Dr. Yui will be revealed to be uh, Harkonnen's inside man who's going to turn on Atreides and, and, and basically get the Duke killed. Kill the Duke, I think, was sort of like the initial plan. Uh, we, we won't break that all down just yet. But yes, there's a, tra- there's a traitor in House Atreides, and, and that will be revealed way down the road. <laughs> but th- this is sort yeah. of like, like, like Paul's circle of, of mentors and, and, and uh, uh, instructors for, t- for teaching him yes. the ways of, of being, the, being the, the next best Duke for House Atreides. Uh, we mentioned uh, Thufir Hawat. And he is a mentat. That is a weird word. <laughs> yes. Can, can you sort of uh, encapsulate for the people what a mentat is? I mean, it's basically a, a human computer. Yes. They are... Uh, so in the Dune universe, at some point in the past, before the events of the book, far in the past, there was a human war against artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence had risen up and was on the verge of wiping out humanity. It was called the Butlerian Jihad. You can go back and find this stuff. It's referenced a few times in the book, and I got curious enough at one point that I, I, I Googled it because I was like, explain this to me. I want to know why. And it, it's kind of all the background on why there's no computers in Dune, why there is no robots or droids or anything of that nature in the Dune universe. Humanity had to fight against Artificial intelligence, they no longer believe in it. They no longer trust it. So these mentats are humans who have learned to become like computers. They are good at probability and assessing risk and, and doing all these advanced calculations to determine, again, to determine probability and, and the likely outcome of scenarios. So these houses all have these mentats, or a, a singular mentat, to kind of help guide their decision-making process the way a artificial intelligence would, I suppose, right? Is that? Do you think that sounds about right? Well, maybe not the way an artificial intel- intelligence would do it, but but I mean to, to, con- to conduct probability like the way a program would. I mean, like you know, we're I, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're, we're, I, I, we're, I misinterpreted. So we're in like an analytics-driven society, and these are the guys who can crunch those numbers and give you all the analytics, so you can draft the world's best fantasy baseball team. Like if I had a mentat behind me right now, I'd be unstoppable in fantasy baseball. <laughs> that is not what I would do with it. <laughs> All right, so we have different priorities with a mentat on our side. But each house has a mentat. Uh, we didn't talk about the uh, Peter Devere's Pit, Pit, Peter Devere's, who is House Harkonnen's uh, uh, mentat. They have their own mentat, and these mentats all sort of feud with each other in a way too, because they all think they are the superior mentat, right? Everyone thinks they're smarter than the other person. Yes. I think so. So there is there is a lot there, but the mentats are also, but they are still very human uh, in their their emotions and their feelings. So I mean, they're not like robot men. Don't don't get it twisted. Right. You know, uh, uh, 
Thufir will will experience a wide range of emotions throughout the story. Peter DeVries will experience many of his own on House Harkonnen. And, you know, he, he uh, lusts after Jessica. He lusts for power, you know. So, like, Mentats are still humans. They just think in a very, very different way than the average human in Dune. Yeah. Does that sound right? Did I, I miss that anywhere? I, I think that about gets it. All right. So these, these Mentats are used in a lot of ways to kind of, again, to sort of make predictions based on evidence and facts and things like that. And, and so Atreides and Harkonnen and all the other houses that exist in the Empire, use them for that. And which is why Atreides knows this is a trap. Going to Arrakis yeah. is a trap. Uh, but Paul, again, let's go back to Paul here, because Paul is our central character. We've only talked about his, the, the, the influences his father's exerting on him. But as you said, his mother, a member of the Bene Gesserit, a, a, a um, like you said, sort of like a religious order in a sense. It's not necessarily, but like they are a very devout group of people with a set of beliefs and uh, a high amount of influence over people. Yes. And yeah. they, they are almost like the secret controllers of this human empire. They are sort of messing around. I, you know, I don't think it, no, I don't know if it had a term at the time, but I mean, they're, they're basically conducting eugenics experiments with bloodlines. Like they are trying to bring about the supreme being, what they call the Quitsack Haderach. Yes. Who... They are hoping they will be able to control to bring about, like, what, like the new age of enlightenment or something like that, right? I think so. <laughs> but basically to usher humanity into, like, its next phase of evolution. Right. And, like I said, the, the Bene Gesserit, much like the, the emperor and all the houses, they want to be in control of everything. Uh, yeah. Lady Jessica, who is a member of the Bene Gesserit, is not the wife of of uh, of Duke Leto. He is yeah. her or she is her, his mistress. They are not married uh for political reasons. So that that she can never be really used against him is one of the primary ones. But they actually do love each other. There is a real relationship there. Uh but they're not being married was actually part of a strategy. And it also allowed the duke to make a political union, um, a political marriage if he needed to to help House Atreides more, right? Like, I think right. that was one of the things they talked about was him potentially or uh, uh, marrying the emperor's daughter at one point. But that was always, I don't know if that was actually a, f- a fact, uh, but it, that was one of the reasons why he never got married is so they, they could make a political union if they needed to with somebody else. Right. But, so 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 Jessica kind of has, um, I don't know, uh, like, she can kind of come and go as she pleases because she is the mistress of the duke. She's yes. not bound by, by the restrictions that, that a wife would have been. No, but she she's very much like his wife. Right. Well, yes. And so as as a member of this Bene Gesserit order, uh, she believes that she was going to be the mother of the Quitsack Haderach. So against orders from against the orders from her order, <laughs> which was do not give birth to a son to Duke Leto Atreides, she does. Right. Because she believes that her son could be the Quitsack Haderach, the supreme right. being. Yes. Um, this gets her in a lot of trouble with the Bene Gesserits. They're not stoked on this. Right. And uh, it leads to uh, one of the more interesting scenes in the beginning of the novel, which is when the... Um, oh, I forget the title of the Bene Gesserit lady. Is it um, the Supreme Mother? 
Is that what it is? Uh, Helena Mo Mohai Mokian. Yeah, that's the Reverend right. Mother. The Reverend yeah. Mother. Thank you. That was the name. That, that's the title I was trying to think of. The Reverend Mother of the Bene Gesserit comes to interview Paul because she wants to know if he is an animal or a man. And that is right. where we get to meet. We we get to hear the word Gam Jabbar for the first time. Yes. <laughs> Which is basically just a really fancy like uh, I don't know. What would you call it? Like a finger knife. <laughs> It's more like a finger needle. Finger needle, right? So she's going to stab into, into Paul's neck if he tries to take his hand out of the pain box. It's poison, and it will kill him. Yeah. So we get to meet, a, a, we find out what a Gamjabar is. A Gamjabar will play into events later in the story. Um, yes. Again, we're setting up a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so what we're really getting at is here is, is Paul is sort of being manipulated by a lot of different people very early on. His, his father wants him to be trained to be the Duke. His mother believes he to be him to be the Quitzak Hatterak. He's having dreams of Dune without ever setting foot on it. He's seen uh, girls, a girl with, with blue eyes, a, a Fremen, one of the native people of Arrakis. Yes. And, and this is all sort of just like setting the stage for, for everything that's sort of to come, which I guess is when we get into, we can talk a little bit about prescience, which is a big part of the story too. And how would you... How would you feel explaining prescience to the kind folks that are listening to this show? I mean, it's just kind of sight, the the ability to see the future, but in vague in vague glimpses. Right. Except for except for later in the book when you can achieve total prescience. You can see all at all times. And then right. you, you just have to kind of parse through it all, which is again part of this supreme being that, that Paul is sort of destined to become assuming he survives right. the events on Arrakis. Yes. So I think that's basically all all of our main, main characters from the beginning of the book, that before we get to Arrakis, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, and so now we get to go to, we go from Caladan, this, this wonderful uh, moderate climate planet, and we're going to go to Arrakis, to the home of the spice, the fuel of this human empire, and and uh, uh, the spice is everywhere. Let, let's talk about spice for a little bit uh, okay. as as we get onto Arrakis, because you know we we talked about how it, it's 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 like fuel for for travel through through space, but it's also representative of so much more. I mean, it's basically what makes the universe go. I mean, it, it's the whole thing. And when you spend time on Arrakis around the around the spice, it's kind of becomes part of you. Like you can't leave Dune. Right, because it's it's highly addictive, and um, the withdrawals apparently are so strong that you would die from them. Yeah, so so people don't leave Dune once you've been there long enough. You know, right. once once you're once you're when it, once it's in the blood, it's in the blood. Yeah, but we we find out that that again, spice is only available there. We find out that the sandworms are are the part of the reason. Everyone knows it's sandworms from Dune. You know, we haven't talked about them too much just yet, but they are a big part of the spice production. They are what makes the spice so unique is them and their presence, their relationship to the planet itself. Uh, that And that's a big part of, of the, the, the middle section of the book is, is kind of breaking down uh, this, this dense um, um, ecology of the planet Dune. And I know that was something that you really dug, and I was hoping you would talk a little bit more about that. Like, you don't have to give out specifics of, of the ecology, but I mean, just like like, can you talk about why it 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 resonated with you so much? I'm not asking you to like recite parts of it or anything. 
Okay. <laughs> like I said, I mean, it's, it's, say it's a lot. No, it's a, it's a lot. And, and, but I, I kind of wanted you to highlight like some of these world building aspects that are, that are in this book. And, and the getting into the ecology of a planet is interesting. It's an interesting choice by Frank Herbert. Like he, yeah, he went um, a lot of thought into this. <laughs> he did. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't, but it, it actually started because uh, like Frank Herbert became interested in sand dunes along the coast of Oregon. And he was going to write an article about them in the fifties because the sand dunes would move like, and they would, they would cover up, uh, I think highway one going through there and the the US government had a project to to plant a certain type of grass in the dunes so that they wouldn't cover the road something like that and and that so it it all started with that and and Herbert ended up doing all this research on it and eventually realizing that he he had a lot more than than what was necessary for an article and I think he just combined that with uh, some other interests uh, that he had at the time, and, and that was kind of the, the germination of, of Dune. And, you know, as far as within the book itself, it, it's just so, uh, you, you know, it, 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 it's like reading, you know, Tolkien, where it's you're, you're just in the hands of, of someone who understands the world that they've created down to such a finite detail and i just really appreciate that um you know because i i, I know you know he he gets into where the spice comes from the the relationship of of the worms to the spice but also w one of the things that that he talks about is is how um because of one of the characters in the book uh dr kynes um that the, the the ability to to eventually have water on Arrakis and on Arrakis in order that would essentially change the ecology of the planet and it, it again it, it's hard to describe it just goes into such um, I, I think such finite detail that it, it's just very impressive. Yeah, I think you're. I mean, you're definitely right, and and. Um... You mentioned you mentioned Kynes. I I forget his his title, but he he's he's basically like the planet surveyist for the emperor, right? Yes. Yeah. The the imperial or surveyor, I think, or something something along those lines. Something along those lines. Yeah, I forgot, I forgot the title. As but well. but he spends so much time on Arrakis, and he becomes uh, he sort of goes native, and and becomes a, a, a fremen, the native people of Arrakis. Yeah, a little bit. And and uh, you know we haven't talked about too much about about Channy just yet, but but Keynes is the father of Channy, the girl that that uh, Paul will uh, fall in love with, and during the course of the story. Right. Uh, so so let's go. Let's let's kind of again we're transitioning to Arrakis. We're about to start talking about the Fremen uh, in a little bit more detail. But I'm gonna, I'm going to put you on the spot again because I'm hoping you can. Uh, uh, give a better explanation than I could because I, I, I have I have still been unable to sort of explain with well chosen words how is space travel achieved in this human empire? Well I'm not really sure I can do a much better job than you uh, just simply because the the book itself doesn't 
really go into it. And yeah, there, there's um, no, there's no hyperspace. There's none of that stuff. None, none, none of the like, real fun elements of science fiction. Okay, so let's talk about the space travel thing. Let's let's see if we can kind of nail this down. Is it sort of like like a folding of space time? That the uh, oh, and I'm I'm drawing a blank on on the name of the of the the people that are sort of in charge of space travel for the Empire. It's just the the navigating the, na- guild. the navigator, yeah, the navigation guild, who yeah. are massive spice addicts. <laughs> we will find out. Yes, they are, yeah. and so much so that they are they are no longer even human. They are completely different looking. They are they are just well, those those are the navigators themselves, but but they also have representatives right that are that are human right and so the, these navigators the, these these very strange beings that we see in the lynch film at the very beginning they are they are what brings the atreides fleet from kaladin to arrakis by by sort of folding space time and and pulling them along with them is that sort of a, you think that's sort of a decent description of what occurs well again i I think the term fold space is really only, if I'm not mistaken, it's only used in the, in the Lynch film. I, I think the, the book is sort of that vague on, on the subject. My under, my understanding is, is that later books in the series do go into it at least a little bit, but in all, I, I'm in order to, I do plan on reading the, the rest of the series. So, you know, I also am trying to avoid, spoilers so i haven't read a lot about the the future books um, and and what those explanations might be but yeah it is just that they somehow um they're somehow able to my understanding is instantaneously take move an object through space from one point to the next and i believe that this is all done mentally somehow and it's because the spice like a side effect of 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 the spice is that um we talked a little bit about it i think about 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 prescience and 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 increased i guess brain capacity so so what they're able to do i think like a mentat almost they're able to 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 chart and plot courses through space. Here, I, um, I actually looked it up, and I think I found okay. it. I think I found a succinct answer for us. Okay, great. All right, so this is this is off of a, the Dune Wiki, and if, if anyone's gonna know, it's gonna be the Dune Wiki, right? And I, like I said, I think they're saying what we're saying. They're just saying it a little bit better. <laughs> for several thousand years, faster than light travel or space folding was conducted exclusively by the Spacing Guild using space folder vessels piloted by guild navigators that folded space-time and moved almost immeasurable distances in the blink of the eye. This form of travel, while extremely expensive, was also not safe as one in ten ships that used space-folding engine disappeared, at least during the early years of the technology's use before the advent of navigators. It was utilized for both commercial and military purposes. Space-folding made use of two key factors. The folding of space-time which was accomplished by the practical application of the Holtzman effect and the plotting of a safe course through folded space by a guide navigator who used prescient planning induced by vast amounts of the spice melange. Right. Yeah, so I I think we nailed it. We just took a long time to get there. (laughs) 
Yeah, the hammer missed a few times. But yeah, we got we got we got there though. And and again, and again this is also reemphasizing why spice is 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 sort of like the driving force of the of the galaxy. You know, you want to you want to go go to other planets and do other things, you need these people to get you there and they have to get fucked up on spice to get you there. <laughs> <laughs> Which yes. doesn't seem super safe, but I mean <laughs> Yeah, uh, it mutates them. So. I mean, uh, you know, I don't, you know, you're you're booking passage out of uh, out of t- uh, Tatooine. You're gonna go find the guy high on crank to get you out of there. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think. I don't think the effects are the same. <laughs> well, I mean, we did see Duncan Idaho get pretty drunk off that spice beer. That's true. Yeah, so I don't know. It, it I guess spices and everything on on Arrakis. Uh, so okay, so our family, our 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 house of Trades gets to Arrakis, and everything is different, right? You know, they they learn very quickly the value of water, uh, what life is like on this planet, how how uh, the the Hark the uh lorded water as wealth over the people, over the over the Fremen, uh, all all the civilian life forms that are there. They 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 would you know have fountains and, and waste water and just just to show off that they had it all and, and no one else had any. Uh, the Atreides are trying to buck this system. They're trying to buck this trend. They're 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 trying to be uh, different. You know, show that they are a better people than the Harkonnens. But the Harkonnens spend a lot of time killing the Fremen. Right. Bad bad mojo. <laughs> so with, uh, I guess at this point I want to I want to ask you, and it, it, this might be a heavy handed question, and I don't know if I if we want to go down this road or not. But how much of a sort of metaphor or an analogy? Is Arrakis and the Fremen for like the Middle East? I mean, tremendous. Yeah, it's it's pretty on, right? I mean, it's yeah, it's you, pretty blatant. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you could just say oil, and we we get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and you know, the we mentioned earlier the uh, the Butlerian Jihad. the The book uses a lot of Islamic terms. So it, it it doesn't hide the fact that that it's an analogy, I suppose. Yeah, and and you know even it's it's funny. I've I've listened to like the uh, the audiobook of Dune as well, and when you when you listen to like the performances that they that they do in in that, I mean the the, the Fremen are very much played up as 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 with almost sort of like a, like a mid Middle Eastern esque sort of accent to them. You know, and, and I again, I don't know, I don't know how I felt about that. It, it was interesting, at the at the at the least. Yeah, it, it's a metaphor. They're not they're not actually from the Middle East, so. <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh, uh, who's the character that I'm thinking of? The uh, Stilgar. Stilgar, yeah, Stilgar's pretty much a badass, by the way. Yeah, Stilgar's great. Yeah, Stilgar is the most badass of the Fremen. The the Fremen. Much like we sort of hinted at it, much like the sandworms themselves, they have a they have a deep respect for the planet they are from, for Arrakis, for the spice, for the for the for the for the environment. Even like they they have learned how to survive and thrive in this dry, arid environment with little water, and how to how to maximize the water that they can that their bodies produce. They have these sweet still suits that we're going to get to learn about, and and. Yeah. Uh, uh, they are they are just like these really adaptable uh, beings, right? Is that sort of the best way to describe them? Yeah, I mean they're they're just they're just hard as nails. 
from having to live that that type of life and they're they're always on the move they're never in the same place for very long no and and they're but they're also sort of playing the game like they realize a how valuable the spice is but they're 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 sort of allowing the empire and and house harkonnen to uh believe them to be insignificant that they're 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 sort of nothing they're sort of you know, small in numbers and, and scattered around. And, you know, they might they might launch some attacks against the Harkonnens, but it's never, uh, the Harkonnens are never threatened by them. They never feel like they, w- they would pose any sort of threat to them, right? I mean, the Beast Raban kills them sort of willy-nilly whenever he wants, but that's, uh, like, it's it's sort of like an iceberg in that sense. Like, you only see, you see a couple Fremen, but you have no idea how many are actually out there. Right. And, and that's that's sort of like, the big thing that the House of Trades kind of gets into is they they want to cultivate a relationship with the Fremen. They want to they want to kind of bring them into the fold here a little bit. And the the Fremen who have been getting killed by the Harkonnens for a very long time, obviously not very trusting of anyone from the Empire. Yes. And I, you know we talked about Keynes a little bit the 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 Imperial uh, uh, surveyor uh, who has sort of gone native and is is sort of become adopted by the Fremen has a Fremen wife and a Fremen child. Um, yeah. He's sort of surprised by the Duke and the the way the Duke acts and the way the Duke behaves and the way the Duke uh, is willing to sacrifice uh, equipment and spice to save lives. You know, like like that's sort of the beginning of, of like, hey, maybe these Atreides people aren't all bad. You know, maybe they aren't like the Harkonnens. Right. And again, I'm I'm trying to avoid some of the, like the bigger plot points. You know, so we don't get into too spoilery territory for anyone who does want to read the source material before the films come out. But basically, what we talked about happens. The Harkonnens reveal their plan. Uh, they dispatch their the elite troopers of the of the Emperor, whose names I have completely forgotten. Do you remember the title of those troopers? Sardaukar. The Sardaukar, who are like the elite warriors of the Empire. At least that's what we think, <laughs> for now, at least. So they're there. The Sardaukars, the, which are the soldiers of the Emperor, are there. They're in Harkonnen gear, so that they can it can sort of bleeds into this like Harkonnen versus Atreides rivalry and the Emperor has nothing to do with it. Even though his elite warriors are there killing all the Atreides guys. Well again, yeah, but but they're they're in they're in Harkonnen gear. They're disguised. Right. I, I thought I said that. Sorry, maybe I didn't. Well this is okay, so a lot of things happen all at once here, right? Uh this, this is when uh, uh uh and again we are skipping over some stuff, but that's okay. Uh but this is when everything turns. Duke the Duke gets captured. This is when the betrayal happens from Dr. Yui. Dr. Yui, right? Yes. Uh, but Dr. Yui has a plan of his own because Harkonnen was able to twi- tur- to break him, to turn him against the le- the Duke because he thought that Baron Harkonnen had his wife and his wife was still alive, even though he knew he was dead. So, again, everyone has plans in this book. <laughs> like, there's so many plots within plots. Right. So, yes... Huey's going to betray Atreides and turn him over to Harkonnen, but not before he gives Duke Leto a chance to kill the Baron with, like, a poison tooth. Right. So everyone has got a plan, but it all goes wrong. Nothing goes right in this section of the book for anybody. The Harkonnen's plans don't go off without a hitch. Uh, the Duke is killed. His men are scattered. Uh, Duncan Idaho goes down with the ship. Um Paul and Jessica are on the run. They have to make a daring escape into the deep, deep desert, which no one believes that we will survive. 
they they there's a heli there's a, a, a thwopter crash. You don't have helicopters, you have thwopters, right? Thwopters. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Orn ornithopters, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so then, then this is when our characters, these who had not been on Arrakis for very very long, uh, are sort of forced to be to become fremen, or else they will not survive in the desert, in the deep deep desert. This is when we learn about what the Muadib, Wadib, Wadib, and and how the Fremen have their own uh, mythology for a supreme being who will come forward to lead them against these houses that are that are trying to take control of Dune, and we we find out that that, that part of that is because you know early on in in uh, in an earlier period in Arrakis's history the Bene Gesserit came in and told these legends of the Quitsack right. Cataract, and so the Fremen sort of adopted it. And so you're hearing all these different things, but as we're reading, as we are reading the book, you're like, Quitsack Cataract and, and uh, you know, Madib, uh, all this stuff, and you're like, wait, this is all the same thing. It's all going to happen, but in very, very different ways. Right. Uh, <laughs> what do you want to say about this section of the book? I mean, I, 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 I feel like I'm pulling us along here, like 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 Paul on top of a sandworm, but... Uh, but I don't know. Talk about talk about <laughs> Jessica and and Paul hanging out with the Fremen and, and sort of how the book shifts in this at this point. Well, I mean, it's it's the it's the second act, and it is um, you know Paul and Jessica are learning how to integrate themselves into Fremen society, and they are they're met with distrust at first. Originally, the Fremen are going to kill them, but uh, they they convince the Fremen to uh, to to let them live to to take them to take them with them. Yeah, uh, I I mean it is you know in it in, in its sort of simplest terms it it, it is just it, it's the hero of the story uh, kind of learning the ropes of the new world that he's entered into and. Um, you know, he is at first um, challenged to hand-to-hand combat. Let's uh, go against Jamis. Jamis, right? Jamis, Jamis. I think so. Yeah, that's that sounds right. Um, and you know, Paul ends up killing him in hand-to-hand combat. But because of that, he also has to. He then has to care for Jamis's uh, wife and, I believe, children. I think you're right. Yeah, um, and so the so there's that. Um, the lady Jessica is getting to know that, that there is there is another Benny Jesuit there already with the Fremen, and so Lady Jessica is learning from her. Um, and, lady, and Lady Jessica is also pregnant at this time too. Yes, with, with a daughter yeah. from Duke Leto. Yeah, the daughter that she was originally supposed to have right. with the Duke Leto. Yeah, so and, Jessica's um, with child as they are on the run in the desert. Right. And, um, you know, but and, and so they're also seeing just how, what immense numbers the, the, the Fremen have. And, but they're also seeing just how much water the Fremen have. And that goes into what I was saying earlier um, about the ecology, which is the uh, 
Kynes and the Fremen had to have this plan to eventually... It's sort of a secret terraforming put, plan, right? Yeah, basically. To eventually, like, put water on Arrakis. You know, obviously, they, they don't want to change the entire planet completely, but you, they want to make it more hospitable mm -hmm. at, at the same time. And so, I mean, it, it, it's... It's it's that, and as that's happening, you know, Paul is he's learning about leadership. He's learning about his own strengths and weaknesses, and his own um, abilities uh, taught to him both from through fear and through the through his through his mother, uh, the 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 Benny Jesuit ways. Um, you know, the these abilities are are developing <laughs> no i think you're fine and and um again there's a lot going on in this section uh uh we we also find out that the fremen are uh might they might be the most deadly warriors in the galaxy as they we, we've now seen them killing sardaukar right and uh making pretty easy work of them uh the fremen again we we talked a little bit about the the you know the value of water on arrakis is extremely high so uh, the, the the Fremen have a process of extracting the moisture from dead people. You know, you you must take their water, and it is a it is a it's it right. a sacred right to have that water. And when, after Paul kills Jemis, and he wants to give the water to uh, his family, I believe, instead of keeping it for himself, so mm -hmm. that they they see that they again, this is one of these things that they were not expecting from an outsider. Right. And it's it's sort of another way that he's sort of convincing these people that he's he is very different and that you know perhaps he is their supreme being as well right and you know that that's kind of one thing of, about paul a, a, again because because of his his training his, his sort of mentat training his benny Chesar training you know as as he's entering this this new world this fremen world he he's not only um adapting himself to them but they're there are other things where he sort of has to convince them to go along with his way of doing things as well. Right. Uh, where, where maybe their sort of their ethics or their morals are don't apply to the situation. Mm -hmm. And so what they would normally do may not necessarily be the best course of action. Yeah. They, so, they, they are people very steeped in their traditions, right? Yes, and so that's just part of how you see him developing as as a leader. That 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 he's he's able to influence both himself and and the people around him. Yes, yeah, and and you know, and, and uh, I, I want to back up in the story here a little bit too, and kind of get everyone kind of caught up on on some of the other elements that have happened. Um, not everyone from House Atreides was killed. Uh, Gurney Halak has fallen in with a group of smugglers that are that are now on that are working uh, around Arrakis, the smuggling things to and fro. Um, the Safir yeah. Hawat has been captured. Uh, he was captured by Harkonnen forces and has now been forced into service for Harkonnen uh, after the death of Petir Divries, his own mentat. Uh, and right. and Safir uh, believed that. Jessica would be the one to betray Duke Leto, and the Baron has only fueled that belief that it was Jessica who betrayed Duke Leto. 
and and so that's that sort of confirmed Thufir Hawat's theories and has made him buy into all all the all the bad things that that we knew about. And there was you know we going back again a little bit further. There was a moment too where Duke Leto knew that he that's what he thought, and he he sort of fostered that belief as well. And he had like that handwritten note. Remember that little note that he would give Paul like not to believe him. Yes. Yeah. So that because because there was a little bit of mistrust between Paul and Jessica for a little bit. When yeah. They, when they were so. first in the desert, you know, like Paul was still trying to sort his get everything sorted out. Uh, we we again we didn't talk about the various attempts on Paul's life. <laughs> um, there, again, there's there's so much in this book, and we're we're only scratching the surface. But I, I hope we're uh, uh, sort of uh, enticing people to check it out and and not be intimidated by by sort of the, 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 the again the breadth and scope of this novel because I mean it really is kind of an all encompassing uh, adventure uh, and, and, and sort of as we close out talking about the second act though I do want to sort of mention uh, something that I, I probably should have said that at the beginning of the, of the show and I, I'm curious if you will agree with me or not but um, um, this is this is this science fiction, story that we are that we are reading that we are discussing about dune as it is called uh this is not like uh, the happy-go-lucky <laughs> you know space adventure this is not you know jokes on the side over here and everyone's gonna have a secret chuckle about this like this book is is uh kind of about being very uh frowny in the sand yes <laughs> it, it's it's uh it's, it's, it's very serious. It's very there, serious. Very there's, heavy. There's no humor. There's no, no humor. There's like like maybe Duncan Idaho is like the lightest character in the book at the beginning, but once you get to Dune, things get serious real quick. I suppose is he even light? Is he light in the book? Light ish, even... because he's sort of the one who tries to talk to Paul like Paul's a child. Everyone else kind of talk, treats him like an adult. Yes. Okay. Yeah, sure. In, in that respect, yes. Yeah, but but yeah, this is this is uh, this is not this is not Star Don't, Wars. This is not. <laughs> yeah. Don't this, expect Jason Momoa clipping jokes. You know. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a, a very, uh, uh, a, a very serious book. I mean, everything is is like life or death when you're in the desert on Arrakis. There's no time right. for jokey jokes. No. Especially when you have to learn how to ride a sandworm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you could make a joke. I I think some levity might be good in a situation like that. You know, it it's uh it it is quite a, a, a interesting scene. I mean, uh, uh, reading it in the book, sort of like the process that Paul has to go through. Sort of like one of his yeah. his sort of rites of passage as a fremen is is learning how to scale these giant sandworms that that are out in the deep desert of Dune, and and the, and sort of like the um the methods that the fremen have developed over the years to kind of call. The sandworms to them, and right. again, like it's one of my favorite parts of the book, is is this sort of uh, the, I don't I don't I don't know the word I want to use, but like the, the sort of harmonious relationship that the fremen and the sandworms have with the planet itself. It's so seeing that, reading about that part of the culture of their culture and and, and Paul's sort of embracing of it, I think mm-hmm. is one of the really strong points of the book. You know, yeah, I think he, so too. He's not going in there and trying to blow up the Fremen and be like, "Well, I'm here now. I'm the supreme being from space. I got the space prescience. I'm gonna drink some tainted worm juice in a minute, and I know everything." Uh, no, no, no. He's all about 
embracing their way of life, but sort of making it work for his goals for, for the Fremen and for Arrakis. Like, Paul has plans <laughs> for, for being this, this supreme being, for being the Quitsack Haderach, for being Wadib, you know, all these things. And, and you know, again, as his characters experience prescience, and he, you know, again, we spend a chunk of the book believing that the Harkonnens are behind everything. Uh, but, again, Paul becomes very, very aware of the, of the wheels that have been going on all around him as, as he sort of begins to see all of it with the prescience. Uh, should we talk about drinking worm juice, or is that just kind of a complicated thing that we should leave alone? It's the water of life. Water of life, and then there's the water of death, of course. There has to be an opposite. It's, uh, it's made by the worms, and then you drink it. Yes, and, and one of the things that Paul and Jessica could both do is sort of like alter the, the composition of poisons that they've ingested. Yes. So, yeah. so Paul believes that he can do this with the water of death that he's created because he wants to have the prescience and he thinks he can change it before it kills him, but it does put him into a coma for two weeks or two months, something like that. Yeah, it's a while. It's a while, and everyone thought for sure he was dead. <laughs> they were like, he's kind of dead. <laughs> we should just yeah. drain his moisture and get it over with. Uh, but he comes right. back, and that, this is sort of how he kind of becomes aware of everything going on. He, this is how he sort of achieves that total prescience, right? Or am I misremembering? No, it is. I mean, it's basically how he becomes the the, the Quetzal's Haderach. Yeah, and this is when he launches his campaign against not only House Harkonnen, uh, but the Padishah Emperor of all humanity. Yes. This leads into our third act, uh, which I would like to subtitle, Hey, look, a talking baby. <laughs> Was she... she... A baby? Kind of, sort of. Let's put it this way. She's talking a lot for a little girl. Very tiny girl. Yeah, I mean, I know, like, she's really young, and, and yeah, it's supposed to be quite freaky, but... Now, I, I have completely forgotten the name of, of Jessica's daughter, Paul's little sister. Aaliyah. Aaliyah, thank you. But she kind of, like... <laughs> she weirds people out the fr- amongst yeah. the Fremen. There's a lot of talk about that towards the beginning of the, of the third act here as, as Paul's kind of putting his plans into motion. Um, but then when, when she gets captured by the Harkonnens, as, as uh, Paul is, luring, is, is maneuvering the pieces around his, his, uh, his dune-shaped chessboard, <laughs> and you get everyone together in the same room. The Harkonnens are there. The emperors come because the Harkonnens are blowing everything uh, because the, the, you know Paul is still alive. And they, they have found this all out, and it's blowing up in all their faces. So the Emperor's there, the Harkonnens are there, uh, the, the Grand, the, 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 I already forgot her title too, the Grandmother, the Bene Gesserit is there. So everyone's Forever. in one place. <laughs> yes. And this is when uh, this baby starts freaking everyone out <laughs> by, by kind of mm. talking and laying out what's about to happen to all of them. Because the, uh, the, the baby's kind of born with prescience too, right? Yeah. So no, the, the, I mean it, it's 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 more than prescience. She is born with the knowledge and experience and memories of all the Benny Jesuit that have come before her. Right. So the so the grandmother sort of views her as like a this abomination, right? Right. But is also terrified of her at the same time. Yeah, because yeah, it, it, it's something. Uh, like Aaliyah is 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 in the Reverend Mother's head, 
but it it's not like Aaliyah is protecting herself there. It's just that she's there. Mm-hmm. That's like that's just kind of it. Yeah, you it, know, and yeah, it's wild. One one of the things we didn't talk about, I know we we, we sort of mentioned a little bit at the beginning when we first talked about the Bene Gesserit, uh, and and the sort of like um, eugenics that they're playing with, like the sort of mixing of bloodlines and, and sort of determining the destiny of all these houses, kind of plotting these things out. Uh, we didn't we didn't get to the fact that Jessica is in fact a Harkonnen. It is the 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 daughter of Baron Harkonnen. Yes. And so so Paul is part Atreides, part Harkonnen, and is right. you know is is like sort of again the sort of culmination of, of these two houses that have been at war with each other for so long. Yeah. And now he's about to destroy one. Right. Because. And I th- Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Finish your thought. Well, no. I was gonna say, uh, like, the Baron Harkonnen doesn't know that she's his daughter. No, but she's figured it out. She's yeah, she aware. figured. Yeah. yeah. And and but again, and we as the readers know these these things. And and again, this is this sort of hints back to what the Bene Gesserit have been trying to do. This sort of bringing about the supreme being by very carefully mixing bloodlines at certain points and 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 sort of directing. Uh, the fates of these houses through those bloodlines, and and again, in in an effort to get a being that they could control, um, and Paul is pretty much the exact opposite of that, as he's about to brain holy fire on all of them. So you get right. you get all the characters together at the end, um, including uh, Feyadratha. Yes. So that we can get the find the 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 confrontation that's been sort of teased since the beginning of the book, uh, between the the future of House Harkonnen and the future of House Atreides to whatever extent that will be. Because, you know, House Atreides is sort of very different now <laughs> by the end of this book. Right. But Paul is, is still his father's son and, and will sort of, you know, avenge the entire house, right? Yeah. So you get the big knife fight between those two. Uh, a little baby kills the Baron. I mean, <laughs> this book is wild at the end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he he coerces the Emperor in, into uh, uh, marrying into the royal house by by taking uh, the emperor's daughter as his wife, the princess uh, Irulan. Irulan, did I get that yes. right? Yeah. Uh, but she will be his wife in title only. Like he will never uh, share a bed with her or lay in bed with her or any of that stuff uh, because he is in fact yeah. in love with Chani, and and yes. will, will she will basically be have like the relationship that Jessica had with Duke Leto. Like that's the real love right there. Right, and and so I I think the book ends on this really, uh, interesting note with with Jessica talking to Chani about that and like how Ch- you know Chani's like why would that be his wife like he is supposed to be with me, uh but the way Jessica spins it you're just like oh that's some cold shit right there, <laughs> how like this this princess yeah. is now trapped in like this completely loveless marriage, and uh, she better right. like she better like, the word I forget the exact wording she she uses but it's like the word is she likes reading and writing she better like it a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what 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 she says to to Chani, and yeah, she she says uh, I I just know like the the last little bit. It's uh, history will call us wives, referring to herself and, right. and Chani. Yes, yes. I'm glad you remember that because I didn't. And unlike unlike uh, unlike me, uh, you actually have the book with you. I left it in another room. So yeah, well. <laughs> Not doing me much good. 
<laughs> not like I can sit here reading. So I I I feel like we 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 we've definitely covered everything in the book, and I we we hit on a lot of the big points of it. Um, do you feel like we missed anything? I think we got more spoilery than I intended to, but uh, no, we definitely did. Um, but that I think that might come in handy because you and I are going to sit down and and review the David Lynch 1984 film in the coming weeks. Yes. So, I mean, you were going to get the spoilers anyways, you fine folks that are listening. And I got, again, the book came out in 1965. I, I'm really not responsible. For, for, <laughs> for, no, but I mean, if we're trying to entice people to read it. Well, you know. right. But I mean, I, I, again, you know, I, it, try, you know I, I hadn't read The Hobbit or, I mean, Lord of the Rings when those came out. But I, I had a pretty good feeling I knew how it was going to turn out. Doesn't mean the journey's not fun. Uh, very true. <laughs> uh, uh, but was there anything else from the books that you wanted to kind of touch on? Like, I know we went through a lot of things really quickly. Some things we, we kind of glanced over or, or skipped outright. Um, but I feel like we, we I feel like we hit some of the big points. I think so. Yeah. In 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 summation, I suppose. Let me ask you, like, what if someone was like, "Hey, man, should I read Dune? What are you going to tell them?" Yes. <laughs> just that simple yeah hey, like Jay. what other piece of trash are you gonna read dang all right all right I, I i like that what other piece of trash are you going to read get doomed don't be intimidated by it um i, I mean i guess that is true i you know i i i think i was a little intimidated to start it because i'd heard so many things from so many people, you know, like I, I know a number of people who said they started Dune and could never finish it. Um, I, I only had one friend that I know of who, who, who read Dune and was, was a fan of the entire series. Uh, you know, but I think, yeah, when, when the trailer came out for the, for the, for the, the first trailer came out for the Denny Villeneuve film, um, you know, I was like, well, I guess, I've always wanted to read it, so now's the time to start. And honestly, I don't think there's anything to be intimidated by. That, like, yeah, they, there's a there's a lot in the book, um, you know. But when you break it, when you break down the nuts and bolts, it's it's a three act structure like any other. It's about a a, a young duke who. His, his family is murdered. He goes on the run and eventually avenges their death and becomes a messiah in, in the process. You know, it's it's a fairly simple story at its core. There's just a lot, a lot of, as you said, there's a lot of layers to it. Yeah, it, it's very, very layered. And, you know, I think I think much like you, I, I was uh, fairly uh, intimidated by the idea of reading Dune. I was excited. But also a little like like uh, reluctant to kind of go into it and and um, again it's not it's not that it's a hard book to read the 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 reading the the way it's written is 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 fine you know it's not like you're you're yeah. trying to decipher you know twelfth uh, century old old English you know I, I'd I'd rather read Dune than Chaucer <laughs> so like you're you're okay there like it's a modern style of writing like you will be able to process it all it, it's all good. Uh, it's it's it, but as you pro as you get through the book, 
the, those layers become more and more interesting and more complex. And sometimes you do spend pages and pages on like doing ecology or whatnot. And maybe you have a hard time with that. Maybe you don't. Um, but it, it's all interesting to go back to. Like, like I said, I had periods where I, I got uh, uh, stuck in certain sections. Right. But I would get through them eventually. And, and most of that was my own make, uh, 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 my own uh, fault because I tend – sometimes I get wrapped up in stuff and I don't have time to read until the end of the day. And by then I'm tired and sometimes I'm just like, I'm, I'm really tired. I'm having a hard time reading this. You know, you start reading the same paragraph over again because you kind of like – your eyes start drooping. <laughs> right. I'd have those moments. I was like, all right, I need to put this down until I actually have like a block of time in the middle of the day when I can read this. It makes for – you know, you get through Dune and it's a really enriching experience especially when you start kind of like thinking about the story you just read. And like you said, it is, it is a simple three act structure. It is, yeah. a, it is a uh, sort of a, a, a hero's quest, right? It's just, yeah. a, just a very different, it's, it's, it's a different kind that we're used to, but I, I mean, it's, it's a chosen one story. We have a ton of those in popular fiction. There's a, there's a lot to get into. There's a lot to understand. Um, I, I think Dune is, is definitely worth checking out. Yeah. And the, yeah, and if 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 reading is something that's uh you know if if like me sometimes re, you know reading during the day is a little challenging because you're you're busy with other things, uh, uh get that Libby app and, and check it out through your local library as an audiobook or whatever and listen to it when you're at the gym or on the run or in your car you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, I I know some people who, uh, you know, they couldn't get through reading it so they did the audiobook. So, yeah, do that. Yeah, do that. It's, and I, that's your thing. I I have definitely heard that the next, you know, the next bunch of books they get weirder and weirder and weirder. Uh, so whether you go any further or not is up to you. But this first book, I I think we can both uh, endorse as, as something definitely worth checking out, and and uh, getting into. Why not? Yeah. As Mark said, yeah, what other just... trash are you gonna read? <laughs> I, you know, I. I... One thing I, I will say that that maybe once you start reading it, maybe it'll still feel intimidating uh, just because it's not, you know, like it's not written like a bestseller or even though it is a bestseller, like it's not written like a page turner. You know, I, I think like, yeah, the first hundred pages can be a bit slow, but but that doesn't mean they're bad. I, in fact, I think they're quite good. No, they are quite but good. I, I agree. Yeah, but I also think once you get past that, I really think it's all down downhill from there. Yeah, I, at I, least at least it was for me. I think it's one of those books also, and I, I sort of I, I think I'll sort of equate it once again, like we've done earlier, uh, to Tolkien and to Lord of the Rings. It's actually a book that I think if you read it more than once, you'll get more out of it. Oh, definitely. I, yeah, I definitely plan on on rereading those. You know, like you said, so much of of like the 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 bestseller list for fiction. Is, is like you know disposable stuff. Uh, right. This isn't disposable. Like this is something that like oh you read this every now and then and you, and you get more and more out of it every time you do. Yeah, it's I mean it's endured for as long as it it, it has for for a reason. Yeah, and you know again talking about talking about the upcoming uh, Denis Villeneuve film. Uh, I mean he's been talking about doing this for a really really long time because he's he is a big fan of the source material. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we, I think we did it. I don't think I have anything else left in my notes uh, to, to talk about. Um, I, we, we somehow managed to talk about prescience and not confuse ourselves. We, we, we parsed out space travel. 
Boy, did we. We talked about the the water of life and death. We talked about uh, talking babies. And we talked about all of it. Yep. I don't know what else there is to say. <laughs> Mark, thanks for hanging out. And, uh, thank you. I'm, I'm, uh, thank you for going on this journey with me, too. Like, uh, I, I can't think of the last time you and I read a book at roughly the same time. I, I, I started before you, and then you finished it before me. So, <laughs> But we tried to overlap. <laughs> we tried. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I thank you for going on, on the Dune journey with me, and I'm, I am really excited to talk about uh, David Lynch's 84 version, and then uh, in a few months we'll talk about the Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you. Go have a good night. Thank you. You too. Father! Father! The sleeper has awakened! Oh, yes. The sleeper has indeed awakened. And I cannot thank you enough for checking out our Dune Primer episode where Mark and I dive back into the classic Frank Herbert novel of Dune from 1965. And I'm not going to lie, this was easily one of the hardest episodes of the show we've ever had to do. And I, I hope it's come out okay. Um, I'm, I, I, listening back as I edited, I was probably being a tad critical. But I hope for anyone taking the time to listen, to check it out, that you got some good information, you got some good insights into the text that Frank Herbert wrote back in the day. And, and I, again, I cannot thank you enough for listening to the episode because, yeah, I mean, Mark and I, are we're, we're new to the world of Dune in a lot of senses, especially when it comes to the book. We read it for the first time this past year. And so talking about it was interesting because we are not, we, neither one of us considered us to be experts on Arrakis, on Paul, House Atreides, House Harkonnen, any of, any, any of that stuff. But, again, for a lot of people, we, we, we were very... We, we very much believe that, that Dune can be intimidating to a lot of folks. So we were very hopeful that we could present a podcast that would, I don't know, hopefully intrigue new members to go and check out the movie, check out the show, or show, the, 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 the Lynch film, the novel itself, and then maybe what Denny Villeneuve is going to release... Uh, to cinemas and to HBO Max in October. So thank you for staying with us. I know this one might have been a bit of a challenge, but Dune Week rolls on, and we go exclusively into the 1984 Lynch film next. And that episode, you know, we're talking about a movie, and that's much more in our wheelhouse as opposed to to trying to break down uh, a, a massively dense, complex novel like Frank Herbert's Dune. Our Dune 84 Lynch podcast, more on brand. So thank you for listening to this. I hope you will check out the the Lynch review for the 84 film uh, because there's some good stuff in there. A lot of really, really fun bits of information, bits of tangents that we go on, some interesting observations about the film because, listen, the film has achieved a bit of a, a cult classic status. You know, in the in the intervening decades since it was released, but there is some weird shit in there, man. I cannot lie to you. Some totally weird shit exists in the David Lynch Dune movie, and we talk about a lot of it because how could you not? How could you not? 
But the bottom line is, Dune, whether the, the 84 Lynch movie, the 65 Her Frank Herbert novel that kicked it all off, or the, the Sci-Fi Channel movies, the Sci-Fi Channel adaptations that they, that they did, I think it was the early 2000s, maybe even the late, late 90s, when Sci-Fi Channel uh, adapted, the, I think it was the first three books of Frank Herbert's series. Uh, Dune is pivotal, um, excuse me, oh my goodness, pivotal to science fiction, the development of so many of the science fiction worlds in which we enjoy and love so very, very much. So Dune is definitely worth your time to check out. Whether Again, whether it's you, you want to check out the book in an audio format or you know reading it yourself, watching Lynch's version from 84, waiting for the Denny venue. Lynch, um, excuse me, Dune is important. Please go and check it out. Give it some love. Give it some support. You know, you maybe you hate it, maybe it's not for you, but maybe you find something uh, that you're like, oh, I was completely taken by surprise by how much I enjoyed this story. And it's, it's depth, it's complexity, it's world building. Check out Dune. It is totally worth your time. And with that being said, we're going to wrap up today's show. I want to thank once again the official members of Pophead Nation because without them, the podcast does not go on. So thank you so much to the Aspen Hill Chody. The Batman of Bay Park, Jeff Nail. Jeff, co-hosting the Ring and Ear. Check them out. Thanks to Evil Circle, the evilest of all circles. The Squid Master General, Brian Broussard. The New Jersey Devil, Mark Wegemer. And our very own Joker Honey Quinn, Brian and Krista of Pariah Brewing Company. Here in San Diego, California. Coming soon to Baltimore, Maryland. And of course, the Beer Hop Brigadier General, Jesus Beer Hops. Thank you for all the support. Remember, we are on uh, all the social medias. It's uh, Tomcast Podcast, Twitter, Instagram, email the show, TomcastPopcast at gmail.com. Give us a like on Facebook. We have we have material popping up on there if you're still doing the Facebook thing. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Pandora, Audible, Amazon, and so many, many more. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please, by all means, five-star reviews, the best and easiest way to support the show and help us defeat the algorithm. Thank you in advance for doing that. All right, Dune Week rolls on. Be sure to check out our 1984 David Lynch-directed Dune review. It's a hoot. Like, the, the, we, we, you know, we for whatever issues we had talking about this book, we get into that Dune movie, and we pry it open with, 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 with like, crowbars. We get into the nitty-gritty, and you're going to love it. You're going to have so much fun. So thank you so much for tuning in to Dune Week. I, I know. It's kind of, it's a, it's a bit much. But Dune is awesome. You just have to open your mind, have the spice melange, have the spice in your beer, and, and just get addicted to the world of Arrakis, the Fremen, Paul, House Atreides, Jessica, Alea, the whole the whole shebang. And and yeah, I mean shit. For nineteen eighty four Dune, I mean just like watching Sting be like super Sting, like cut up jack sting wearing like no clothes i mean i'm I'm not gonna say it's like hot but it's 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 kind of hot in in a way check it out enjoy it it's rad i will talk to you soon thank you so much for listening let's get the heck out of here ciao babes great story compelling and rich so the tribe drops its third straight on this trip six to one to the rangers for the indians one run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit.
You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. We're not gonna be fucking sunk this year! We're the Stanley Cup champions!